And so when you look at the prophets, you need to understand the time frame of when that prophecy was made. Is it a, is it a single event being prophesied? Or is it a close-up of a prophecy that's going to continue? So it's really important to understand this when you read the prophets. But at the same time, this isn't really difficult. Why? Because if you integrate all the prophets, you understand what is being prophesied. Because the Bible uh, testifies and witness to one another in their prophets. And so Habakkuk chapter 3. That Babylon has been chosen as God, by God to be um, a, a vessel for judgment against Israel. But to the eyes of Habakkuk, what, when he sees the hordes of Babylon coming, it's as if God is coming. And so he's seeing a vision. But at the same time, as he's seeing this judgment, what is being overlapped is another vision. That uh, the judgment in the end times is being overlapped, uh, the judgment of the last judgment of the end times. And so this judgment of Babylon and the judgment of, 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 of also at the end times. And so Paul, or not Paul, sorry, Habakkuk is seeing a vision of this judgment of the end times as well. And we'll talk about Zephaniah tomorrow. And I'm going to change the schedule a little bit. Zephaniah chapter 1 and 2 is, is parts of, pre, uh, parts of uh, prophecy over the Third World War. And so to talk about this in, in, in detail, it's going to take too much time. And so I could preach out of this, but if I don't, if I don't go in detail, it's going to take too much time. And so as I was praying today, I decided to change the strategy. Tomorrow morning, I want to share the flow of the end times of the eschatology from uh, Jesus' first um, um, arrival until his return. And so I want to share like the events that are happening from Jesus' um, inception until, until his return. Because God wants his schedule, his time frame to be proclaimed to Honduras before we leave.
And so it's important for you to have this schedule and to understand this time frame of God. And I cannot explain uh, why this is the case. Because honestly, that would mean I'd have to preach three years worth of things that I've been talking about. And so these are also things that need to be heard up and translated. But I'm just going to take the conclusion, the, the, the schedule, the time frame itself. And then at night, no time in the afternoon, but at night I'll preach out of Zephaniah 3. And it's a prophecy of how God is going to establish the remnant in these last times. And so, um, of course, the remnant is prophesied in every single prophet, prophet book of prophecy. But Micah and Zephaniah focus on the prophets. And so we'll close this conference by speaking of who the remnant are in Zephaniah chapter 3. I believe that this will be much more beneficial for you. And because I think it's important for you to know the time frame of God, that uh, what times is it that we are living in currently, and what's going to continue to happen as we live our lives throughout this throughout throughout this world. And so. Now, if you ask me, tell me that I'll just preach all of Zephaniah, then I will. Should I? Okay, so let's do according to my plan, okay? And so let's look at chapter 3 today. And so this morning we talked about the five evil desires. And even with this just one thing, the revelation of Habakkuk is very amazing. And so as you're continually aware of these five um, desires, as we repent, and other times casting demons out, and living by the Holy Spirit, we need to deal with these things. And then so at the last stage, at the last stage, you'll deal with all five of these desires and you'll enter into glorification. And so let us all deal with these desires. And so uh, it's important to receive the riches of God's love, perfect love. And so as it says in 1 John 4, 17, that the joining community confesses that we can love the world as Jesus loved the world. How amazing is that? They said they can love as Jesus loved. They're not trying to boast. They're not trying to testify to their own righteousness. But because the joining community received that love, they are, have, are able to do so. And so let us be this state, amen? That when God's rich love enters into me, 
I, I have no need for anything else. Amen? So let's look at verse 3, or chapter 3. And so as I said earlier, he's seeing the attack of Babylon, the invasion of Babylon in a vision. But it's as if God is invading Israel. But judgment is still judgment. And that judgment isn't just judging the wickedness of Israel. But it's the judgment of Babylon who is coming to attack Israel. And also it's the judgment of, uh, of, the, of this entire world in, from the perspective of the Old Testament, or from the perspective of the eschatology. And so though this is terrifying, and yet because he knows the will of God to judge the wickedness within Israel, he can receive this judgment with joy. And so he gives a, a song of victory to the Lord. And so when we look at the book of the prophets, uh, that at the end time, uh, the last battle of Armageddon, many Israelites will die, many Jews will die. And that yet at that time, when they're almost wiped out, Jesus will come and they will have the eternal victory. And so as they deal with their wickedness, this Babylon uh, is, 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 meets its doom. And so even if you don't know all of the eschatology, at the very least, be sure of this. The world will be judged forever. So we saw it this morning. The world is, is an inheritance that's going to burn tomorrow. And so it's foolishness to uh, invest into the world. And so let us not pour out our energy into the world. If you knew that a company is going to uh, go bankrupt tomorrow, you're not going to invest in that company, are you? Okay, that kind of fool will end up becoming a beggar. It's the same thing for us. Okay, it's a world, it's an inheritance that's going to burn tomorrow, so why are you invest in it? Let us invest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, let us pour everything to the kingdom of heaven. Amen? And so, uh, from the perspective of our faith, we need to keep fixing our eyes upon the eternity. Do not lose eyes for eternity. And many people have been healed today. Why were they healed? So that they can live well on this earth? No. So that to show that God is truly almighty, that God loves me. That is the purpose of healing. And so from the perspective of eternity, okay, that, so that in with your healthy body, you can lift glory to God and serve God. And one, several years ago, as I was ministering in Singapore, there was someone who came with, who was uh, completely paralyzed. A, a girl who was completely paralyzed. And so the mother had to carry her up to the stage. And I laid my hands upon her and she walked. 
But after being healed, instead of uh, having worship, she went home. So she didn't understand the purpose of healing. Remember, God is love and God is grace. But they think that oh, all we need is healing. So we need to look to eternity no matter what. No matter what we do, we need to know that God loves me. Amen? And so let's look at today's verse. Okay, so first, verse 1 through 2 is, is the introduction and also the fulfillment of the prophecy. So verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to the Shikion. And so this is a vision, and yet at the same time it's a song. A Shigianoth is talking about a type of rhythm. And this is the only place where this word is recorded in the Bible. And so we don't know exactly what it is, but I'm sure that it's a fast tempo. Because as God is using Babylon as a tool, uh, they are rapidly um, encroaching on, is on Judea. And as I was watching guys praise earlier, you guys were singing songs in this fast tempo. And so you were, you were uh, enjoying that. And it's, that's this kind of tempo. Okay, you guys truly love to praise. Oh, that's really good. But all, pl please, just at the same time, love the word as well. So, verse 2. Oh Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O oh Lord, do I fear. And so this report, he's saying that he has heard God's voice. And do I fear? This is reverence, right? Yare, it's, it's a word that means I, I revere. So he's heard something that transcends imagination. And so he's filled with this reverence towards God, filled with the fear of the Lord. And so when you hear the revelation from God, there are two, two emotions that go hand in hand when you hear the word of God. First, is that because uh, the revelation of God is a revelation of mystery, there is joy and inspiration. But at the same time, because God's glory is being revealed, there is reverence, there is fear of the Lord. And so just as you fear God, you need to fear the word. There are several words for reference, but they all have a common meaning. And I'm talking about this Hebrew word, yare. And Malachi talks about the kabod, which is talking about how it's it's precious. Ah, yeah, it's precious. And that it's heavy. 
and that it's glorious that it has that meaning and so you need to have this kind of attitude towards the word of God that we can revere the word of God do not take the word of God lightly this is really important an important attitude to have and this word reverence it's important for several reasons reverence isn't just simply uh, emotion but it is clear a state that you are meeting with God because you are meeting with God you have reverence and so reverence is a really important element to your faith if you do not revere that means you take lightly and so as we continue meeting with God towards God we need to have this reverence and because you're meeting with God this early uh, and New Testament everything is connected to reverence and fear of the Lord look at uh, Psalms 25 uh, that the one who fears the Lord is close to the Lord Proverbs says that fear of the Lord is the source of all wisdom in Proverbs 22:4, that the reward for fear of the Lord is 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 life, glory, and something else. I didn't hear the other. Uh, and riches. And so all things, almost all things, are connected to reverence. And also, ultimately, the spirit of God that dwells within us is a spirit of reverence. This spirit uh, gives us this heart to worship of worship. And true worship comes out of reverence. And so in your church, uh, clear evidence that, that your church is properly worshiping God is that there is a presence of reverence that because in the worship is the presence of God is exists and so they will not just do however they want there must be this reverence and so that's why reverence is a really important element to your faith and so if you look at first Corinthians yeah, the Corinthian church has a problem with their worship. And so Paul defines how to dress when they worship, how to have fellowship between men and women. And so you may think that Paul is making a big deal out of nothing. But he is not making a big deal of nothing. But rather he's showing that the reverence of God is not being manifest outside because normally if you have reverence, it would manifest outside. Okay, someone who who reveres God is not just going to dress however they want, uh, bearing their midriff or bearing their shoulders however they want, will they? 
That is proof that they do not revere God. Uh, in our church, we do not allow the kids to dress in miniskirts. We always tell them to cover at least their knees. And you may think that, wow, what an old-fashioned church. But through your outer appearances, you don't allow other spirits to take advantage of your outer appearances. In Korea these days, uh, girls like to wear leggings, uh, the, the yoga pants. Right, the uh, idols like to wear dress in that. I don't think God likes that. And I'm not just talking about the image of that cloth, but rather, is this is the image of those who revere God. And so that's why Israel always only wears black and white. It's not some kind of form, but it's just an image of, of, of reverence towards God. And so Paul says and all these talks about these things in 1 Corinthians. And so basically he's saying to not wear your um, clothes too provocatively. That don't wear your clothes however you want. And so the fear of the Lord is not something that you should be teaching. If you fear the Lord, then you would automatically know that, ah, this is not something that pleases God. And so I talked about the issue of using your cell phones. If you revere God, you know that these things does not please God. Why? Because you are meeting with God. And because you are meeting with God, if you are just doing things however you want, that's evidence that you are not actually meeting with God. And so, um, freedom and, and uh, sorry, one moment. Freedom and Okay, freedom and neglect is not the same thing, okay? So, freedom is like, as I said earlier this morning, a fish being in water. It's when that fish is in water that he is truly free. Doing whatever you want or neglecting is not, is not freedom. So anyways, O Lord, I have heard the report of uh, you and your work, O Lord, do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. And so what is uh, revive it? This is uh, God's judgment. And what is what wants to be revived? He's saying to do your judgment. To act out your judgment. And so earlier, uh, Habakkuk was complaining about the wickedness of his nation. And as he was having fellowship with God, he started to understand why God judged his nation, why God judged Israel. 
And as his faith grows, he is now um, he now uh, justifies that judgment. That ah, God is someone who will judge wickedness, will judge evil. And so amongst you, there are some who are uh, neglecting sin. That is not a good thing. If you just keep leaving this alone, uh, let's say that God is just an onlooker in your life. That is not. That is not God's mercy. That actually might be a curse. It may be a bigger judgment. It's when God interlopes. It, it, it inter uh, sees each time. Okay, and so if you live with the presence of God, you cannot just do anything. But at the same time, if you live with God, all things are possible. All things become possible. You can do all things with God. Amen? And so that's why he's saying, hurry up and act out your judgment. And so Habakkuk, while he was recording chapter 1, this is not a confession that he could have made. And going beyond that, if you don't, if you, if you don't know uh, the judgment of God, maybe you think you could pray this way. But this is a great storm coming, and so this is something very terrifying, right? And he's saying, uh, in the midst of the years, revive it. And because he's expecting the holiness of God in the midst of Israel. And that through this judgment, he knows that God is, uh, is sanctifying Israel. He prays this way. Because he knows that living, uh, eating well and living well in the midst of corruption is not happiness. Even if there's suffering, even if there's pain, it is happiness to be sanctified. And so to the, church, to the members of my church, I don't pray for them to succeed in this world unless they are being made holy. That I never pray, oh, let this person make a lot of money. Rather, I pray, let this person be completely ruined. Uh, several months ago, I, I excommunicated one church member. And he was someone who was the top offering person at our church. And I waited for him for about 10 years. And yet, he was not being made holy. And yet, what was strange was that he was making more and more money. And so I said to him, I don't think God is blessing you with this. I think this is the devil giving it to you. And so either repent and be holy or leave the church. And so, because he didn't transform, I kicked him out. And this is something that you need to be able to do. Okay? It is not happiness just because you make a lot of money. You don't always have to make money. If you, if you are poor and holy, then you, are to be, you can just be poor. Now, of course, it would be great if we were rich and holy. But honestly, that money belongs to God anyways. And so it's not mine. So we need to give it to God. 
And so the important thing is to be holy, is to be sanctified. And so your pastoral ministry, you need to apply it according to the standard of God. Okay, don't, don't compromise and tolerate people just because they make a lot of money. Okay, you give them the opportunity to repent, and if they don't repent, then you gotta kick them out. If you talk, compromise with these kinds of people, then that's what the, your church members are going to learn. Like, ah, it's okay to live this way as long as I make money. And so our, into our church, this standard is very clear. That uh, I will not lay hands on a business that God is not pleased with. Why? Because this business belongs to God. And so God takes responsibility. And so what are we to do? We're to move the business according to the will of God. Because president of the company is God. And so I'm not going to try to make money by uh, taking advantage of other people. For example, uh, selling alcohol or being a loan shark. Or also in Korea, we have these things called love motels. It's a place where people cheat on their wives. So we don't allow uh, our church members to do these things. And there are many other examples. And so there's not much for a Christian to actually be, uh, that a Christian can do. Because if God is not pleased, you should not do it. Why, are you falling asleep? Then why are you so quiet? Okay, so don't think that this is difficult. That whatever pleases God, we need to be able to do all things. That if God is not pleased, we need to cast it all away. Why? Because the glory of God doesn't belong to just anyone. It belongs to the one who gives their lives for holiness. And so as I, I was listening to your songs, you say, Santo, Santo, Santo. And don't just let it be just a simple calling. It, it isn't just a title. When you say Santo, you need to understand that we are the same essence of God. And so you need to be filled with this joy and inspiration and reverence. Amen? So let's continue. And so it says, uh, in, in wrath, remember mercy. And so God, of course, judges evil, wickedness. But at the same time, he knows and he understands that God has mercy to his children. And so Habakkuk is praying like this. Lord, beat Israel. And yet at the same time, be very soft. That's how he's praying. And so Habakkuk is recognizing God's righteousness. But at the same time, he is holding on to the love of God. 
So he's someone who knows God very well. He knows the pain of God very well. He knows that God is not pleased to judge Israel because he loves Israel. And so Habakkuk is holding on to these two things as he prays, righteousness and God's mercy. It's the same thing to us. When you pray, uh, you need to confirm that God's righteousness is in you. And how do you confirm that righteousness? It's through the blood of Jesus Christ that you confirm that righteousness. And primarily, if you have the righteousness of God, there is no obstacle to you meeting with God. It's just open to you. And yet, let's say that you confirm righteousness and yet your prayer is not opening up. That means that there is a problem with the spiritual warfare. Then you just need to break through. And so as long as we have righteousness, there's no issue with meeting with God. For example, okay, uh, you know, there, there is a presidential palace in Honduras, right? And so let's say that some young man stood before the gates of that palace and the doors just opened to him and someone comes out to greet him and someone leads him to uh, the office of the president. Then who is that young man? It's the son of the president, right? That's righteousness. The moment you receive the righteousness of God, you, uh, you, you are, have been acknowledged with the dignity of being the child, son of the king. So the Holy Spirit leads you before the king, before God. And this is everything to prayer. And so we need to constantly re, uh, confirm righteousness inside of us, that we can draw near to him at any time, at any moment, that his Holy Spirit could lead me at any time. And so let's say your prayer is not opening up, then you need spiritual warfare. And so that's something you need to fight. And so what's the reason why you're unable to confirm righteousness? It's clearly because you've been living by the flesh, and it's an issue with sin. And because your flesh has multiplied. And so that's when we repent. And so, uh, honestly, you cannot see repentance as prayer. When it comes to repentance, repentance is a, a measure taken to meet with God in righteousness. Now, of course, if we enter into the presence of God, then there are times where you, uh, there are times where you need to deal with the issue of wickedness that was revealed right then and there. Uh, as I said, talked about this morning, dealing with the five wicked desires of, of, of Babylon. And so um, it's usually when you meet with God deeply that these things are revealed. But the issue of you living by the flesh, uh, the sins of going disobeying the commands of God, these are things that you need to repent first and then be clothed in that righteousness before you enter into His presence. 
So when you are clothed in that righteousness, what you receive is grace and God's mercy. And that mercy is the reason why our Lord Jesus Christ can uh, advocate for us. As it says in Hebrews 7.25, that when you draw near to the throne of grace, that Jesus advocates me before God. That my fa that Father, I have spilled my blood for Him, and He is my brother. And this isn't an idea, it's not a theory, but this is something that actually happens when you pray. And so Hebrews 4, 16, that sometimes grace, sometimes mercy draw near to the throne of grace to receive these things. And so, Habakkuk realizes that this is um, elements needed to pray in this way. And so because of God's righteousness, we need to receive judgment. But at the same time, uh, as new Testament beings, we no longer are judged because Jesus has been judged once for all for us. Amen? And yet we still need mercy. And whose mercy allows us to be uh, to get to to welcome us is Jesus Christ. And so, of course, our prayer is a hundred percent answer because Jesus Christ, who is the most, who is the best lawyer, is is defending my case. And so, what do they call Jesus Christ? They call Jesus our great advocate. Paracletos. And there's another blessing, another advocate, which is our Holy Spirit. And so we have the two strongest lawyers in existence. And so there's no trial any longer. And no matter how much the devil may try to accuse you, you just tell him, go. Love Jesus. Get up. There is no longer any trial against us. Yeah? And so whether it's the Old Testament or New Testament, they have the same goal, the same perspective. And so what reason is there for the, to be unable to pray? There's no reason to, be, uh, to uh, fail to pray. Prayer is the most glorious place. And prayer is a place of great profit. And prayer is something that we must do. Amen. So let's continue. So now verse 3 to 7. He's praising the glory and authority of God. Verse 3. God came from Teman. Teman is talking in the direction of Edom. So it's talking towards the south. And so in that direction is Mount Sinai. And it's the same thing with Mount Paran. These are all in the direction of Mount Sinai. But Babylon is coming to attack them, right? 
And where does Babylon attack from? Babylon comes from the north. But right now it's coming out from the south. Why is he seeing this vision in this way? Because Israel uh, had gone against the covenant, it is not Babylon that is judging them, but God that is judging them. And so Babylon may be the tool for that judgment, but the one who judges them is God because they have broken the covenant that they had on Mount Sinai. And so it's not written in this text. But Israel's judgment is always begins uh, that God first begins with um, forgiveness. If you look at Isaiah chapter 40, it says that you will be judged through Babylon, but you are already forgiven. That I will uh, forgive you before I judge you. The reason is because of God's righteousness and mercy. And so uh, God comes to judge Israel through Mount Sinai. But judgment isn't to kill Israel. So if you look at the, according to the law of Deuteronomy, a son that uh, disobeys his father needs to be stoned to death. But God cannot kill his son, cannot kill Israel because of his love, his conflict of love. And so he's breaking his own law. And so who's going to take responsibility for this broken law? The God himself takes responsibility. And that's why the cross is where he died. That's how great the love and mercy of God is. God is willing, God in order to love us will take responsibility for all things. And so Paul calls this love the love of Christ. What is Christ? Christ means king. And so it is the love of a king. And what, who is the king? King can take responsibility for any action he does, including love. And so that's why he already gave up his life for us. This is the faith that we should have. That he loved me first so means that he can take responsibility for everything. Amen. And so, pastors, when you got married, you probably uh, proposed to your wife, yes? You said, hey, let's get married. Or will you marry me? Right? Any of you, uh, the wife, uh, proposed to your husband? Because the pastor proposed first, the pastor needs to take responsibility. I told my wife, I proposed to my wife, and so I take responsibility. But honestly, man cannot take responsibility. But God is not like man. 
God proposed to me, and so he's going to take responsibility. Because God came to me, and he came to me and said, I love you, and I want to live with you. It's the same thing as pastors. I never told God I wanted to be a pastor, but he called me to be a pastor first. And so I say that the church is yours, not mine. And so if anyone upsets me, I pray to God like this. God, when did I ever say I wanted to be a pastor? Why do you send me this kind of person? Take him away. Because God takes responsibility. And so that's why we can have confidence in our life. Because God takes responsibility. Amen? And so let's continue. It's fun, isn't it? And so those uh, Babylon comes from the north. God comes, uh, the painting he's the picture he's painting is from the south. And this is really important to understand spiritual speaking. Because whenever suffering and hardships come into your life, when famine comes to your life, there are many people who are trying to solve the problem itself. But those who have faith understand that they need to be able to see all this suffering through the eyes of God. So if you look at uh, Proverbs, it says to uh, acknowledge Him always. That no matter what happens, if you acknowledge it as God, then all of those hardships will be loosened. And I don't remember if I made this testimony in Costa Rica or not, but uh, one of the brothers in our church, his son, uh, got hit by a car, and so he died of brain damage, of brain hemorrhage. And this kid was very angelic. Even the day before, he, he gave this great prophecy. And yet, why did this child die such a tragic death? At that time, it was about three weeks before a conference in Argentina. And we had no money at our church. But we heard that this guy, this kid died. And with the father, I went to go see the body. And we saw him. And I, I commanded him three times. Spirit, come back into him. Give him life. Spirit, come back into him. Spirit, come back into him. But he, he didn't come back. And so the moment I felt as if I was going to fall into despair and sadness, but I heard the voice of God that I have done this. And at that moment, God's joy overwhelmed me. And I looked at his father next to me, and even him, he was filled with the joy of God. And his funeral was a celebration. That everyone's church member was filled with joy. And 
And so um, his insurance claim came through. And that insurance claim that his father offered for the conference in Argentina. And I prayed to God like this. Lord, I cannot receive this money. I cannot do this conference with this money. But God said that in order to save lives, it takes life. And so look. No matter, even if the suffering of death comes, if you acknowledge it as God, then it will not be a source for, uh, for despair, it will not be a source of depression. And so it's really important that we understand that God is coming from Mount Sinai. And so you need to keep seeing God approaching. And if God is the one who is coming, even if it's suffering, it is what's best for you. Amen? Amen? And so in the midst of suffering, we can rejoice. And so what the suffering that comes to you is not suffering. It's not uh, hardship. It's a gift from God. Then all things will be solved just by this. And so that's why this vision is really important. But anyways, this glory covered the heavens. And, and His praise, His fame filled the earth. And so moving on to verse 4. His brightness was like the light. And so it's talking about a light that's so bright that you cannot open your eyes. And rays flashed from his head. Rays is talking about the horns on the altar of God. And so brightness, rays, this is all talking about God's authority. That he's coming with his authority as a king. And that in, in these things, his power is hidden. And so though God is judging, at the same time in the midst of that judgment is God's glory. And so though it seems as if Israel is being judged through Babylon, that judgment is in God's power and authority and it is under His dominion. And so as I said earlier, a child of God, God will take responsibility for him. And so, and so Israel's not being taken into captivity because they lack power, because, because Babylon overpowers them. No, it's because God sent them there. And so though they're taken into captivity, God is still in control. God is still going to be responsible. And so at any time, God can reclaim them. There is no light to Babylon. And in reality, when was uh, Israel set free from Babylon? It was when uh, the second revival, second golden age of the, of the Babylonian Empire, during the time of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so it's the time where Babylon was, was at its height. 
and that Babylon, and this Babylon is a really strong fortress. And media Persia comes to surround this city. And so uh, the Babylonians believed in this strong fortress and so they're parting inside. But if you look at Isaiah 40, it says that though the uh, fields may wither and uh, the word of the Lord lasts forever. So if God says you're over, you'll been over. And so Babylon was destroyed and Israel goes back to its home. This is Israel. Because, because we are light of the world, we do not live surrounded by the world. So what does it say in Romans 8? That we no longer have the debt, we are no longer indebted to the flesh. We are not indebted to the flesh. We do not live because we are indebted to this world. We have no obligation to this world. At any time, God can reclaim His children and at any time He can save His children. Isn't this amazing? This is the greatness of Israel. Amen? That even if they're taken into captivity, still they are children of God. And no matter where they may be in the world, that they are still the children of God. And God can reclaim them at any time. Amen. And so even now, the power and authority of God is reigning over them. Many people think that God is forgetting them when they are in the midst of suffering. But that's not the case. Actually, rather, like it says in 1 Peter, that when I'm in the midst of suffering, God's glory is close at hand. It's right above me. And so even in suffering, the child of God is upheld by the power and authority of God. And actually, the more we suffer, the more we are in the midst of suffering, uh, the closer His ear is to ours. It's because you do not believe in this, that's why you fail to pray. You have your children, but, but especially when you have many children, the weak one, the weakest one is the one that you look out for the most, right? And this is the same thing God's heart for the church of Honduras. Your weakness, your spiritual state, your difficult situations, God has more mercy on you for these things. And so let's say for an example, let's say if uh, Korea were to pray a hundred times, you can only pray, you only have to pray once to receive the same answer. That's what's clear. Why? Because you are in the midst of great suffering. And God's heart is closer to you. And so have faith. Moving on to verse 5. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. And so the invasion of Babylon didn't bring about these kinds of pestilence. 
But he's saying, saying that he's going to send this pestilence and plague. But these are things that came out during uh, the Exodus. And also, if you look at Revelations 13, in the last warfare of Armageddon, you'll see the same kind of things happening. And so this judgment is also being overlapped with the end times as well. God is showing his final judgment to his prophet Habakkuk. Verse 6. He stood and uh, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. And so who is this? He is Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he returns, he's going to come over the Mount of Olives and is showing how it's going to be shaken, how it's going to be shook. And there's going to be a great earthquake. And so the valley of Gideon is going to separate, which lies between the various towers on the east side. And I'll talk about this later tomorrow when I go over the eschatology. But uh, what I'm talking about right now belongs to Zechariah. And so even now there is great amounts of underwater earth, uh, under earth uh, underground water uh, in Jerusalem and so the uh, earthquake is going to separate these things and the water is going to flow in the midst of that and so like Ezekiel 47 that uh, the bitter water will become uh, fresh water so this is what's going to happen when Jesus returns. So that's what's being described here. And so verse 6, He stood and measured the earth, and then the eternal mountains were scattered. And if you look at Zechariah, and also Revelations, when the Lord returns, uh, there is this great earthquake, and and in the temple, uh, 30 meters underground is going to open up, and all, uh, the valleys are going to rise up, and all the mountains are going to be made flat. And so even now, if you look from Tel Aviv, you're going to be able to see the glory of, of the temple even from Tel Aviv. And so uh, through all of, throughout all of Palestine, you'll be able to see the glory of God. And this is the same prophecy that Zechariah makes. And so even now, uh, this eastern um, gate that is under 30 meters ground is going to rise up. And what is this gate? It is the gate that only the king can enter. And this, this uh, gate is going to be opened by the king and the priestly kings are going to enter through that gate. And so this is from Zechariah. So I'll talk about this more in detail tomorrow. And so in that glorious uh, ascension of Jerusalem, you're going to be with us. Amen. 
Why? Because you're going to come with this, uh, because Jesus is going to come with like the priestly kings. If you look at Revelations 19, this is what's described here, that Jesus is going to come with the uh, white horse, and behind him are going to come the priestly kings. And so if you know you cannot do anything else, you got to know how to ride a horse. Why? Okay, yeah, you got to know how to ride a horse. Okay, let's have take a short break. And so all of these judgments that God is pointing out right now is overlapped with the Latin times. And so this is the amazing thing that uh, that happens with the prophets. So look at verse 7. It says, I saw the tents of Kushan and affliction. And we can look at Kushan in two different ways. First, it could be mean it could mean Ethiopia. Because what does it mean by Ethiopia? When he's talking about Ethiopia, he's talking about the place that's farthest away from, from Israel. And so even the farthest nation is going to be judged. And also, if you use um, the book of Numbers, then, then it's also talking about those who are rebelling against Israel. It's the same thing with Midian. And so this judgment of God in these end times is a judgment for all the nations. And it's judging against the rebels of Israel. And so from the outside, Okay, it looks like Israel is being destroyed before, uh, before Babylon. But it's actually God's plan to not destroy Israel, but to destroy Babylon. And so when God uh, destroys the, the devil, the enemy, uh, he, he makes them suffer in a certain way. And so he's going to make them um, touch Israel. And so when you touch a child of God, the, de uh, the enemy must pay the price for that. And fundamentally, is, uh, in, in reality, Israel, uh, Babylon is the one who attacked Israel. But Israel is not what's destroyed. They come back alive. The one who actually pays the price, and yet the price that they, that Babylon has to pay is that they are destroyed forever. It's the same thing in the end times. In the end times, all nations are going to gather to try to destroy Israel. But rather than destroying Israel, it becomes the source of their eternal destruction. And this is a really important spiritual order. And so if the devil tries to mess with you, and if the devil tries to attack you, that means that it's time for the devil to pay the price. Because fundamentally, the devil cannot touch you. As it says in 1 John 5.18, that the evil one cannot touch me. Why? Because within me is the royal blood. And yet, if he still tries to mess with me, 
means that he has to pay the price. And so children of God, no matter what suffering may come, in that time, what are they thinking? They're thinking of victory. That they, they will have that victory. Let's say money is causing me suffering. Then, oh, I'm so poor. What's going to happen? That's not what they're thinking. They're thinking is, oh, what riches is of God is waiting for me? That they're going to think of victory. That's who you are. That the devil cannot mess with you however he wants. That unless God confront, unless God allows it, he cannot do anything to you. Even a sparrow will not die without the will of God allowing it. And so, would the devil be able to touch a child of God? No, he, he has to not pay the price. And so you need to have this kind of faith. And so even in the moment of woe, defeat, you're thinking of victory. Amen. And so how does Paul confess this? In first in Second Corinthians 4:10. that I clothe myself with the death of Jesus Christ in my body so that in my body the life of Jesus would be made manifest. And so this state where I'm dead with Jesus Christ, whether I suffer, whatever it may be, I am dead with Jesus Christ. And yet, this is for so that the life of Jesus Christ would be made manifest in me. And so what's important here is that no matter what's coming against you from the world, no matter what kind of suffering may come, even if there's despair, all you have to believe is that you have died with Jesus Christ. And so what that means is they do not respond to your flesh. That when darkness comes, don't, don't fall into despair. That, oh, I don't have money, what's going to happen now that I'm poor? No, that's responding in the flesh. Flesh has died with Jesus Christ. And so do not respond to the flesh. In all circumstances, you respond in the spirit. Jesus' resurrection rises up within you. If let's say that the devil messes with me, oh, they're getting ready to pay the price. Amen? And so do you not believe this? This all applies to you as well. Let's say that a witch messed with me. That means that she needs to get ready to pay the price. You need to understand that a child of God always has the power and authority to flip the tables, to turn the tables. Because the God you serve is able, is more than able. Just as the ice cream you are eating right now is sweet, God's word must be sweet on your lips. And so, uh, whenever the Israelites would train their children to read the word of God, they would put honey on the Bible. That the word is sweet like this honey. And that's also the same reason why I gave you this ice cream. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Look at how amazing your being is. That as children of God, the world cannot handle you. Why? Because you do not care whether you have or do not have, whether you whether you are or whether you can do or cannot do. Because we are not focused on what we can do. We are focused on who we are. All I have to know is who is who I am. Amen. And so look at how amazing your life is. Living in God is a great privilege. It's a privilege. It is an explosive privilege. You are awesome. And so how does Romans describe your victory? That you are more than conquerors. That you are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. And so the Bible doesn't say that you will just cross the finish line. No, it says that you are more than conquerors. You are more than conquerors. And so the glory of living as a child of God, do not let, do not lose sight of this. Amen? And so let's continue. Verse 8. So now we're going to the next section, verse 8 to 15. Is praising God's judgment and salvation. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? And this is the image that we see in Revelations 19. Also the vision of Zechariah 6, he uses the same expression here. It's the image of the Lord returning. That is your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? No, that's not the case. As the Lord returns, He did not come. He's not coming to judge. Even though He comes to judge, He's not coming to judge creation. Rather, He's coming to restore creation. Amen. And so, like it says in Romans eight, uh, that the sons of God are revealed. All of all of creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And now this waiting is finished. All the original order of creation is being restored. And his millennial kingdom is coming on this earth. And so um, and, and so all of these things that are happening where where there's climate change, um, uh, earthquakes, and, and all kinds of natural disasters. These are, this is all uh, signs of, of, of creation groaning, waiting for his return. It is just um, a sign, a sign of his judgment. Because God's creation, God's creation isn't going to be corrupt, isn't going to be destroyed because mankind did something. Climate control is the strategy of the powerful nations to control uh, the weaker nations.
everything that happens on this earth isn't affected only by this earth. It, it's, a, it's, it's a result of everything that's going on in the entire universe. The data that this world has in itself is wrong. Why? Because the Bible, what says was created first? This, you, or this earth was created first, and then the universe was created. But what do scientists say? Scientists say that the universe came first, and in the process of that creation, the earth came, was formulated. And so their data in itself cannot be correct. And so think about it. 6,000 years, uh, you need to use the same uh, the, devil, uh, the data together for that data to be accurate. But let's say you only use a short part of that, uh, one part of that data, that data cannot be trustworthy. Or let's try to extend that data to infinite. Then you cannot take statistics for that. And so I'm not talking about spiritual things right now, I'm talking about math. And so for this reason, uh, the data that man has in itself is wrong. Why? Because creation began... And so this is all signs of God's God's judgment. And so right now, uh, uh, the entire universe is being shaped into a cross. And so um, maybe you don't understand what I'm saying. But either way, the entire universe right now is preparing for the return of Jesus Christ. That even when he came to this earth first, okay, he, he wasn't just born randomly on some day, but the entire universe shook and groaned and welcomed his, his birth. And when he died on the cross, it's not just some random young man of Israel dying on a cross, but the entire heavenly host all the demons, all, all the creation of universe was focused on the cross on that day, even God. And so you need to see this amazing uh, spiritual world that's, that's going on. And so the Lord is going to return. And do you think that the universe is just going to sit still? No, it's being shaken. that this is the first time ever since Genesis that so many angels are working and active. All these angels are very active right now. There are great angels being very, very active right now. If you look at Zechariah 5, and finally in, these, in the last session, the glory of God is manifest. And who is the church that has fellowship with that? Uh, who is, uh, so who is going to have fellowship with the church? It is the archangels, Michael and Gabriel. And so they are going to have ministry with these kinds of angels. 
And so those of you who have seen angels, you will know angels have bright, are bright. But archangels are, oh, that's a different level. That you, with an average human eye, you cannot look upon that light. And yet, how much more then would the light shine from Jesus' face? Even archangels themselves cannot look at the face of Jesus Christ. And yet, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, what? That you have the right and you have the ability to look upon his face. Why? Because you are heirs. Because you are heirs. And so now the time has come where the archangels will minister with the churches. And these archangels have such great wings that when he flaps the wing once, everything flies away. And so look, can we fight the Antichrist or not? Of course we can. We can be more than conquerors. And so remnant, arise. Glorious church, arise. And you got to see the storm that is going on in the world, in the spiritual world. That this glorious king is coming back. Do you think that everything is going to be at peace? And that's why even now this globe is going crazy. That, that uh, glaciers are melting. That there's earthquakes here and there. That hail is coming down. Yeah, the, this world is going crazy. Why? Because we are com coming close to his return. Hallelujah. So let's continue. Verse 9. It says, You strip the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. And so, you know, what does you strip the sheath from your bow, you took the bow out and you shot it. And this bow represents God's word. And so in Revelation 19, it says that uh, from the mouth of God, of Revelation 9, the mouth from the mouth of the Lord comes out a sword. And so what does the sword represent? It represents the word. And how blessed of a time are we living in right now? That right now we cannot see the spiritual things right with our physical eyes. We can only see it spiritually. But soon, soon all the realities of the spiritual world will be evident in the physical. Right? This is a revelation of revelations and also uh, in, in, in Zechariah. That you'll see from your lips fire coming out, from the mouth of the two witnesses, fire coming forth. And so, in the time of this great tribulation, we're going to see uh, uh, the, the, uh, the manifestation of all of these kinds of miracles. We're going to see the Red Sea split again. We're going to see manna come down from heaven again. You're going to see these kinds of things in, in, in with your very eyes. And lastly, is the glory of the remnant. All the remnant 
all the, all those who uh, believe Jesus Christ just just uh, just well enough, uh, they're going to die and go up to heaven. But the remnant, the remnant are now going to stay and fight, and 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 all of this is going to be made evident in the spiritual realm. And so, brothers, let us be holy, let us be pure, and let us prepare the way of the Lord. This is the ministry of the remnant. Aren't you inspired? Amen. And so let's continue. And uh, you split the earth with rivers. And so, uh, sorry, one moment. And so, in the end times of the eschatology, we'll see two es two earthquakes. First, when he comes on the Mount of Olives. And this is an earthquake that arises in Palestine. And then after he returns, uh, it doesn't just enter directly into the millennial kingdom. But for about 40 years, uh, he's going to completely he's going to destroy the anti de 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 the army of the Antichrist. And then, as that time comes to a close, another earthquake is going to happen, a very great earthquake, where that all the things made by the hands of man will be broken down. The concrete and skyscrapers, all of those things are going to come tumbling down. And there's going to be an earthquake all over the world. If you look at Revelation 18, it says that Babylon will be destroyed within an hour. And so, this Babylon uh, city that has been built with the efforts of thousands and thousands of years of human effort will come tumbling down in one hour. And so, look at how empty this world is. It's a big, big, big earthquake. So now think about it like this. Uh, what's going to happen with all this concrete? What's going to happen is that uh, the, the, the atmosphere that is uh, holding everything in this earth is going to open up and all of this debris is going to be is going to be taken up into space and and we're going to see once again the waters in the sky uh, waters in the sky that 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 that, uh, that we see in Genesis do you not have any interest in the millennial kingdom yeah, I have a lot of interest. Aren't, don't you, aren't you curious about what kind of body you'll have in the resurrection? 
Okay, the first thing I'm going to do when I go to the Millennium Kingdom, of course, first meet with Jesus Christ. But after then, then I want to try wrestling with the bear. Why? Because I want to test how strong my resurrection body is going to be. And then I want to try racing against the puma. Because this is going to be reality. Millennial Kingdom is an extension of this day and age. It's not a new world all of a sudden coming up. And so it's not that you just all of a sudden transforming into this holy resurrection body. No, the whole resurrection holy body will be as holy as depending as holy as you were in the hotel now. And so the only difference is that your body will change. It will be changed to a perfect body. And so this world is coming upon us right now. And it's right before us right now. It's right there. The Lord is, is, is getting ready. He's waiting at the precipice. All he has to do is pull open the door. And so it's time for us to live fully by God. So look at verse 10. Uh, the mountains saw you and writhe. And so again, this is all the uh, things that's going to happen in nature when Jesus returns. Uh, the raging water swept up, the deep gave voice, forth its voice and lifted its hand on high. In verse 11, the sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. And so this is talking about the pinnacle of God's last judgment. This is the prophecy of uh, Joel chapter 2 and also Matthew 24. That, uh, that, the earth, that the sun and the moon and the stars will be shaken and that they're all going to lose its light. And so this time is coming upon us. And so because him coming is such a great event, even the, his, his, uh, um, his inception was, 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 was an amazing event, but also his return is going to be an amazing event where the entire universe is shaken. But now, and so it's the king of all kings who is coming. And so it's going to be a little bit different from his nativity. Because he has already been registered as king. And he's going to come with that freedom. So how free is he going to be? And so all the angels, all the righteous hosts, and who's the most important? It's going to be the remnant of the earth. The, through the most holy and, and ones, they're going to welcome God. Oh Lord, come soon. Oh Lord, come soon. Our Lord does not make a mistake. He is preparing this even now. Who's going to stand with me on that day of glory? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
and so look let us not be influenced by this world amen and there's no reason to be influenced by this world this world is worthless and so verse 12 you march through the earth in fury and so you march through the earth in fury uh, even during the time of the Exodus, God led them from the front, uh, led them through the pillar of fire and the pillar of the cloud. And when you look at Isaiah chapter 40, even when they get uh, Exodus out of Babylon, God led them from the front. And so now when Jesus Christ's glory comes back, here again, God is going to lead the remnant. If you look at Revelations, uh, when the latter half of the tribulation begins, uh, Jesus comes to, in the sky. And the remnant is going to see that glory, and as, he, as they see that glory, they're going to live three and a half years. And so look, uh, the three and a half years of tribulation will not be a hard time for the remnant. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that there's no suffering. But as I said earlier in Revelations, there is the church of, in Philadelphia. And it's talking about the church of glory that's going to be there at the end times. That I'm going to open up a door that no one can close. And so in that end times, uh, God is going to provide everything for the last end church. And in that time, it's time for him to lead us. And so the important thing here is that it's not the tribulation that is important, but rather even now, this time where he is leading us, right now it's time for us to expand the remnant. And so we call this age, the age of the two, two witnesses. And the two witnesses in Zechariah described as two and the witnesses that's going to that, that represents Israel at the end times is the two olive branches. And so the, Israel, uh, the two witnesses of Israel is going to come in the second half of the tribulation. And if you look at Revelation 12, it's Moses and Elijah. But the, the two witness churches from the perspective of the Gentiles is being manifest even now. And so it, it's now time for us to follow that leader. And soon God is going to confirm the, who those two witness leader churches are. And he's going to once again clothe us in the robe of Elijah, the power of Elijah. So we're in great expectation for those things. And so this next decade, it's important during this decade to confirm yourself, uh, to confirm as the remnant. Because once we enter into the tribulation, there's not much for us to do. He will lead us directly. So that's the faith you need to have. And that's why this decade is very important. And so for this decade, God has sent someone like me to prepare you. 
Honestly, uh, humanly speaking, it's not easy for me to be here. Right? Everything is difficult. And yet I come because in order to prepare for this decade, in order to raise up the remnant in this next decade. And so that's what's being spoken of here, that God is going to lead them. You march through the earth in fury, you thresh the nations in anger. And so he's going to lead them in victory in this warfare. Verse 13. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. And so this is the equal thing. And so he saves his people. And who are these people? They are the anointed ones. Uh, who is the anointed one? It is the remnant of the end times. And so it's not just simply the people of God, but in these end times, uh, the anointed who have been set apart, that he is coming to save them. And so if you look at Zechariah, there is the remnant of Israel. As, and uh, Revelations calls them the 1,404,000. Uh, is this the literal number or not? I think that this is the literal number. Because in Zechariah 14, not 13, 14, says that two-thirds of all Israel dies, and so there's not much left. And if you look at Revelations 13, 14, that from the uh, valley of Armageddon and, and Jerusalem is flow rivers of blood. How many people are going to die for that much blood? And so why do we minister in Israel? It's because right now God is preparing the remnant of Israel. Of course, he's also preparing the remnant of the Gentiles. But many people are going to die in that day. And so it may truly be only 144,000. And so there is going to be a remnant from the perspective of pure and holy Gentiles. And then there's also going to be a remnant of Israel, 14, uh, 144,000. And so this is what it means by uh, the salvation of your anointed. And you crush the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. This is the image of God's amazing return, his, 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 his return. So moving on to verse 14. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors. And so who is... You pierced with his own arrows. This is talking about Babylon. And so even if uh, they are to kill the remnant, uh, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret and so those who rely upon God but you came like a whirlwind to scatter me and you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors verse 15 
You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. And so this waters and mighty waters is talking about rebels against God. And so uh, the Antichrist and all the enemies of God are going to be completely destroyed. And so let's look at the final praise of salvation. And tomorrow I'll talk about the schedule, the time frame for this. From the from the um, advent to the to his return, so going through the various books of the prophets and to revelations, so that you can have the time frame of God, and so you'll be able to see that everything that's happening in this world right now is living according to that schedule. And I, I won't be able to explain why I, 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 I interpret things this way because it's all too much, but I want to um, condense it and try to give you the schedule at least. And you can, and you can make your own study of it, what I give you, but it might take you about 10 years. And so please pray that quickly we'll have a Spanish translation. Unless you want to just take that 10 minutes. Uh, I hear my body tremble. He's fearing. He fears to the point where his body trembles. And so, he, because he's seeing all of these judgments in a vision, look at how terrifying it would be. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And so amazing truth. Fear comes into him. So that's why he expresses it like this. And so because rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, and so my body trembles. And so you need to understand how terrifying the presence of God can be. Daniel says it's as if he became, he was dead. And so if you see this kind of vision, then Habakkuk probably couldn't even get up for, for That's how terrifying the judgment of God may be. And but because you are not opening your eyes, your spiritual eyes, that's why you treat God's judgment lightly. I'm sure that Habakkuk spent more than a month just lying down because every single part of his bone, every bone was probably trembling and in pain because he saw the visions of the eschatology. So verse 17, Though the fig tree should not blossom, no fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalks. And so Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk complained to God. 
And he was unable to receive all of the, the reality in faith. But now he grew to a faith of understanding. And now he's finally growing to, an to a faith of praise and, and, and thanksgiving. So what that means is that He's, he became someone who no longer responds in the flesh to his circumstances. It's the same thing to you. Do not respond to the reality around you. As I said earlier, I don't have money. Oh no, I'm in trouble. No, that's not the truth. The reality is not the truth. You do not have to receive it in your being. I am a child of God, and I am the child of the King. He loves me. And so, the, and so you need to acknowledge that these circumstances cannot kill you. It's, when you. it's when you respond in the flesh that you're receiving that in faith. And so when the devil bothers you, it's not saying, oh, I'm going to die. Rather, oh, it's time for you to pay the price. And this needs to be part of your faith. Amen? And so uh, there's nothing. Everything is trampled. And yet this is not a problem. That's what Habakkuk is confessing. And so even in this midst, you can praise. So verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. In this situation, he's saying he rejoices in the Lord. to rejoice, amen? So look at the situation of Honduras. This is not a reason to rejoice. Okay, I was ministering in Brazil once, and the Brazilian said this to me. God is fair. And I asked him why. He said, God gave Brazil such riches. And that's why all these cruel politics were established to take it all away. And so God is is and so God is fair. How, it's funny, right? And so look. And so look. Just because you live well doesn't mean you are happy. Okay. So don't look through the eyes of the flesh. Because the reality and the circumstances around me is not the standard for my life. These are not elements that are going to change the direction of my life. For example, in our church, no one is going to move churches because they got a new job. And to, to the point that they have to go to the conference and so they quit their job. that though they can throw the world away for God, they are not going to throw God away for the world. This is proper. And so do not be shaken by your circumstances that are around you. They do not have the authority, power, or strength to move you. Amen? The only one who can move me is God alone. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. 
amen, amen. And that is your dignity. That you are one and have everything under you. Amen. And so look at pastors. Okay, don't teach your church members according to your methods, according to your knowledge. Why? Because you are not the one who are to touch their souls. And so what does 1 John 2, 7 says? It says that you do not have to learn, you do not need to be taught. No one can teach you, you have no need to be taught. That to teach only through the anointing. But let the anointing teach you. And so from the lips of the pastor should come, should come forth anointing, should come forth the power of God. Why? Because your children are the, are the children of the king. Amen. And then amazing confession. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And so even in the midst of this circumstance, the reason why you can rejoice and take joy, this is what means to be original. This is what it means to be genuine. This is true. That God is looking for these true ones. And I bless you that you would be true. Bless the person next to you. You are true. You are true. last verse. Let's finish verse 19. God the Lord is my strength. And so in the process of his faith, he, Habakkuk gives up living in his own strength. That God alone is my strength. That, we, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so what does Paul say in Philippians? That I know how to be content in strife, to be content in riches, to be content in poverty, to be content when I'm weak or strong, that I, that I know how to be content in all things. And then in uh, Philippians 4.17 he says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Bless you that this confession would also be our confession. And Peter makes the same confession in 1 Peter 4. That whoever it is needs to work out, whoever needs works must work out in the strength that God gives. That whoever speaks, speaks like God speaks. Amen. Amen, amen. So he is my strength, and so who shall I fear? He is my power, who shall I fear? There is no fear. Amen. And so what does he say? That he makes my feet like the deers. Uh, in Israel, we're talking about these deers, these mountain goats, right? And these mountain goats have this ability to stick to the wall. And so they can even go up 90 degree cliffs. 
and so like the deers, I can go at my, he makes me tread on my, on my high places. And so even though suffering comes, even though pain comes, all of these things happen below the heavens. And so I go high, but how high do I go? I go up to the throne of God. Amen. And so all the things that happen on the ground don't have nothing to do with me. For I am up high on the throne. That I am up high on the throne. That I have set you high on the throne. Amen. Hallelujah. And so we are to soar with him above the storm. Ephesians 6, uh, 2 6 says that when we were saved, we are already seated on throne. So Jesus' throne is my throne. And so everything that happens on the ground is, is nothing. All I have to do is look and Amen. That I have set you up on the throne. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let us proclaim this victory. That we have the victory. And in these end times, may they rise up and rise up to soar with you, Lord, high, Lord.